and welcome to the Faith Over Fear podcast, where we attack our most pervasive fears with truth. Because life is too short for any of us to live enslaved. We are passionate about helping God's children live in freedom. We would love to chat with you online or on social media. Visit our show notes to learn how to connect with us. I'm Jennifer Slattery. And I'm Jody Bailey. And you've probably, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you've heard me allude to my story about dealing with anxiety and panic attacks and how in high school, right after high school, I struggled to leave my house. And so Jen and I talked and what I really wanted to do was share more of the story and let you know that if you're going through something like that, who are, who are dealing with anxiety, who are dealing with that crippling fear, you're not alone. Because when I was walking that journey, I sincerely felt isolated. I felt alone. I felt like the only person this had ever happened to. So what was that called specifically? I had what was called agoraphobia and literally translated, it means fear of the marketplace. But it was, I could not leave my house. I was 18 years old. I had just graduated from high school. I had my dream college in my hip pocket with a scholarship. I was going where I wanted to go, doing what I wanted to do, graduated from high school and the brakes got slammed. I, my best friend and I had gone to the beach. And we both got food poisoning and we got carted off to the hospital in an ambulance, which was kind of traumatic when you're 18 and away from home. Uh, When we got home, she got better and I didn't. Every time I tried to leave the house to go to church, to go out to eat, to go to the mailbox, I would get sick. So we took me to the doctor. They couldn't figure out what was wrong. And one night my dad said, okay, you know, we're just going to go out to eat. We're just going to nip this in the bud and go out to eat. And I got in the car and I lost it. I hyperventilating, the heart racing. Um, I ran back in the house and we lived in one of those old houses that actually had skeleton keys. (laughs) And I locked myself in my closet uh, all over going to eat at a restaurant. And that's when we knew something was really wrong. Wow. So for those who haven't experienced a panic attack, or maybe for, for those who have experienced a panic attack and didn't know what was going on, what, how would you describe that? For me, it was this intense need to get out of where I was, get me out of this place, get me somewhere safe. Just this feeling that I was out of control. I was going to be sick. I was going to pass out. I was going to Um, My heart was going to be out of my chest. I would break into a cold sweat. Um, I would be hot and cold at the same time if you've ever experienced that. I've heard it likened to having a heart attack. I wouldn't know, but it was just get me out of here. I don't want to feel this way anymore. Something horrible is going to happen. Now, did you share with anyone what was going on with you during that time? My dad knew. I was raised by my dad. And so he kind of knew. He could see what was going on. Uh, I had my Aunt Shirley, his sister, they kind of knew what was going on, but as far as it was, I was ashamed. Let's be real and honest. I was, you know, like I said earlier, I, I was this kid who had it all together and my, I had to develop this perfectionism and this was definitely not perfect. (laughs) This was, you know, the exact opposite of perfect. I had this control thing. This was the opposite of control. So I had this kind of feeling that I was, something was wrong with me. And because I didn't tell anybody, I did not have the opportunity to hear from other people that they had gone through that too. Like once it finally came out, what was really going on, I went to the doctor and and people at church 
uh, started praying for me and they started coming to me and saying, you know, I've been there, not, not to the degree that I was there, but they had walked through panic attacks or anxiety. And cause I, up until that point, I thought it was just me. Like I was convinced I was the only person in the world. Now, can we talk a little about, you mentioned you were the kid that had it all together. And I think you mentioned perfectionism in there. And I can just imagine, so you're 18, everything's changing. You're about to go to this huge life adjustment where you're pretty much going to stand on your own for the first time ever. Did that perfectionism play a part, do you think, in what you experienced, in, in kind of your meltdown, I guess? I think in a way that it did because perfectionism and control, I don't think we realize how much those two things go together. And for me, I, it was very much about control and that perfectionism lived in in that control. They kind of just played nicely together or not nicely together. But it, it came from the fact that when I was a kid, when I was 10 years old, my parents split up and my mom, we didn't see her for, I mean probably a year um, sporadically, but like the, she was supposed to pick us up. She wouldn't show up, that kind of thing. And I did not realize what that did to me. I I don't think, I don't think we realize sometimes, especially when we're young, we kind of keep rolling with the punches and we don't really handle what's happening. And so I actually, we figured out later um, in this, when I was 12, I got to the point where I didn't want to go to school and I would hide to keep from going to school because I was utterly convinced a tornado was going to hit my school, <laughs> which kind of sounds like a randomly silly thing to think, but not too many months before my mom uh, left, we actually had a, the worst tornado outbreak at the time in North Carolina history, not far from where I lived. And so I linked the two of them. But eventually that was that interestingly enough kind of faded away on its own. But what I learned, um, I was fortunate enough to be raised by my dad and my dad is an incredible man. And he took on the job of raising my brother and me beautifully. Um, I, I did not lack for support in my life, but one of the things that men do that I learned much, 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 much later that women don't do is when there's something for them to deal with, they go and they deal with it by themselves kind of, you know, a lot of times, not all men, but this my dad did. And we'll come back when it's all dealt with and they're, you know, they're good. Well, I saw my dad always be okay. I never saw the off the side dealing with things. And so in my mind, you didn't deal with things. You just kind of mushed them down and mushed them down and mushed them down. And so I kept being told from 10 and 11 and 12 that I was so mature. I was so brave. I always had it all together. And I began to take pride in that, in never falling apart, in never letting things get me down. But what I didn't know is, is you know, if you shake a Coke bottle, <laughs> it's going to explode. If you pack something in too tight, eventually the lid's going to pop off. You had mentioned before how you had this, this fear of being a bother. So I, w- I would love to hear more about that. I had someone in my life. And like I said, I was blessed to have amazing aunts and, and my grandmother and my dad. And my aunts and uncles were like my parents to me. You know, they were like a whole series of parents and, and we're a close family. But I had someone, one person in my life who did... Um, make me feel like a bother. Like I was 
Um, and it was somebody I looked up to and I respected and I wanted them to love me very much, but they consistently made me feel less than and made me feel like a bother and like I uh, was a problem. And so I picked, I didn't realize again, you're 12, 13, you don't realize you're internalizing these things. And I did. And I began to feel like I had to be perfect all the time. I could not mess up. I could not be a distraction. I could not pull somebody away from whatever they were doing in their life. And so being at the beach and and getting, um, you know, taken off to the hospital, carted off to the hospital, my dad had to take the day off work. He had to borrow my grandmother's car to come and get us. And that's a bother. And so I think at that point, it was just a perfect storm of, you know, I was graduating, I was going to move six hours away and piled on top of all the things I had packed down for, you know, eight years, 10 years, the lid blew off with that ambulance ride, I think. You know, I think a lot of us too, we do get really good at not feeling, thinking that we're managing okay, but kind of like you said, it just bubbled, those feelings don't go away just because we ignore them or numb ourselves from them or distract ourselves from uh, from them, we just become less able to deal with them if we're not aware of them and not processing them. And we think we're fine. And And again, like I said, I took this great pride. And pride was a big thing with me. <laughs> and, and, and I can look back and see that now. Pride was like, I was proud of how mature I was. I was proud of, you know, everybody was complimenting me. I was proud of my grades. I was proud of my scholarship. I was proud of my school. And so in a way, I'm, you know, and this is going to sound odd if you're sitting out there listening, but I'm, I'm blessed that I had that knocked out from under me in a way, you know, because suddenly I went, I mean, this, this cost me almost everything. At, that an 18 year old can lose because I, you know, I had almost a full ride to my dream school. I had to give that up because there was, I couldn't walk out my front door to get the mail. I couldn't answer the phone. I couldn't, I could barely leave my room to go to the kitchen <laughs> to make a sandwich. I was not going six hours away to college. That was impossible. So I, I basically, everything that I identified with that made me, me, you know, all the academics and the friends and the college and all those things I had wrapped my life around, they were gone. And, and my friends moved on without me. They went to school. They, you know, did their thing. And here I am sitting at home struggling to walk out on the front porch. So I'd love to talk about that because I wonder how many of our listeners feel that way. They're watching everybody else get on with their life, move forward with things, maybe even hard things and frightening things and maybe feeling like they can't. So how did, how did that feel? Well, and you know, it doesn't have to be as dramatic as not being able to walk out your front door either. I mean, we can feel that way and be perfectly functioning and still watch people, you know, in our jobs, in our relationships who seem to quote outpace us or leave us behind. I honestly dealing with that when I look back now, what I see is when I look back, I don't see the the hard so much. Like I know I went through it, but there's this overarching remembrance of Jesus being there. This overarching, even when I was alone, when I think about me alone in my room in my big round Papa San chair crying and, you know, why is this happening to me? 
there's this overarching feeling that Jesus was there, even when, even though at the time I couldn't feel him. That's what I have now is, is what I look back and see. And I think that's so, so important because our feelings lie to us. And Amen. my, yeah, my daughter had said that when she was in her real, and she shared on, on this podcast, so she wouldn't mind me sharing now, but when she was really going through intense depression and anxiety, she said she couldn't hear outside her own thoughts, let alone hear from God. And so she felt like something was wrong with her spiritually because one, she doesn't have the peace and joy that she hears everybody talk about, right? And then two, she can't hear him and she can't feel him. And she had to recognize that our feelings do lie to us, but scripture promises us the moment we take a step towards God, that's James 4, 8, that he is already moving towards us. And that's my own paraphrase of it, but that God, God's faithfulness is not dependent on ours. And he has so much more grace and, and love for us than we do so much more compassion and understanding. And I think we think he's going to just boom, be done with us, but I think he has so much more grace and gentleness for us. And he does. And, you know, there's this battle in the mind and, and I'm glad I want to back up a second too, before we go forward, <laughs> I'm glad you brought up depression and anxiety because the two are, they hold hands with each other. You know, you are going through this walk and you're watching everything pass you by and you do sink into this depression. Uh, and sometimes, sometimes that's physical, sometimes it's mental, but they do go hand in hand. And we did not realize that was something that came out years later with me that I was also depressed in among the anxiety um, because they, they just meshed so well together that we really didn't see them until in hindsight, we could see them. But there's this battle that happens in the mind. And part of what I did, I had a wonderful, wonderful counselor. And he had me write down, he said, I want you to write down and keep in your pocket what will get you through what you can pull out and read when you are in a place and you start to feel that you know, panic rise up. And so I don't know what he expected. I got out my Bible and I started looking and I had a list of like 10 Bible verses that I carried around on notepaper in my pocket. And I do want to say, though, that's not a magic bullet. And I think sometimes we get upset with God because we want to quote a Bible verse and poof, everything is better. <laughs> it doesn't always work that way. So we have to be careful that we don't treat God like a, like a, a lucky charm or a magic talisman that, you know, oh, if I quote this first, everything will be better. But it does change the way your thoughts work and it changes your focus and it takes it off of, of you and what you're feeling and puts it onto God. And I think that is huge. Yeah. And I think I would mention to that too, just talking about sometimes I think in, in faith communities, we can attribute everything to a spiritual cause and therefore a spiritual solution. And I, I do think everything has a spiritual component, but God looks at us as a whole person. And sometimes we have to deal with some of the external things, whether like for you, there was past hurts, but I know like for my daughter, she has sensory issues. And so until she dealt with the sensory issues, she was always on hyper alert from just too much stimulation. And once she realized that and could put herself in places like bring earplugs to church and sit in the back and, and kind of cope with some of those things that greatly reduced her anxiety. And so for each one of us, I think it'll be different, but as we seek Christ and I think, and, and just follow his lead, I think he will lead us towards therapy and, and people who can have insight into 
I would suggest Christian counselors so they can kind of navigate through the, the spiritual and the emotional and the physical and help us make sense of it. But I, so I love that you, that you mentioned that. And I, I know you had mentioned something else I think is pretty common again, when we were having a conversation and I don't remember what I said, <laughs> but you had mentioned something about how you judged yourself in that moment. And so that your self judgment hindered you. I did. And it's important to understand anxiety comes from a thousand different places and nobody's walk looks like anybody else's walk. And my thing was because of what had happened to me, because I was carted off in the ambulance, I had, I, the anxiety came out as this intense fear of becoming sick in a public place. And so I thought in my head, that was the dumbest thing in the world. (laughs) Like how, you know, what of all the things to be afraid of that, but we can't, you can't judge how things manifest in you. You can't, you just have to, to understand and look like you were saying, where's it coming from? What is the root? The root for me was not that I was going to get sick. It was that I was going to inconvenience someone else. If I did get sick, I was going to cut their plans short. They were going to have to clean up after me, whatever. But it all rooted back down into that perfectionism and that fear of rejection and that fear of abandonment that, you know, that if I messed up, I was going to be abandoned and rejected. I said, it was so dumb of me to feel like, you know, the, the thing I was afraid of was getting sick in front of other people. And I felt like that was a dumb thing to be afraid of. And you stopped me and you were like, no, we really shouldn't judge ourselves that way. We really hinder our growth and our freedom when we pull this, we heap this judgment on ourselves that is uncalled for and unnecessary. And the thing we want to do is look at where is it coming from? And healing came for me in for 10 years, I cried out and I cried out and I cried out to God, like, when are you going to fix this? I know you can fix this. Why won't this get any better? And it didn't. Um, and I did, like you said, I went to counseling. I had, I took medication. There's nothing wrong with that. And don't let anybody tell you that there is. It can be um, very freeing. It can be the best thing for you potentially. Yes, because sometimes there is a physical component and that physical component has to be dealt with in order or you'll never be able to calm down enough or focus enough or see inside yourself enough to deal with what's underlying. Yeah, my daughter explained it this way because she was on medication for a while. She's actually off of it now, but she was on medication for a while and she said it put her in a place where she could start to make and to take some self-care practices, where she could start practicing self-care. And so it's for her, it was when it was just so overwhelming, she couldn't even move forward that it knocked it down a bit. And for me, it put the brakes on like the physical part of a panic attack. It would just, it would slam the brakes on it. And so then I could stop and mentally deal with it. Where freedom came from me, and we've talked about this in one of the other podcasts, was in this Bible study that I went to, where we really just started digging into the roots of what was holding us back, the roots of our pain and the roots of our, you know, of our things. And God was able to come in and, and walk me through forgiveness and walk me through that healing um, that allowed me to come off the medication and to deal with these things, both with him and within myself. So does that mean everything's great now? And, and like, <laughs> boom, it was all amazing. And it went over like, what, what, let's talk about just the ongoing battle. 
Well, something nobody tells you, and and it's been 11 years for me of, of walking in this new freedom with Christ, and but something nobody tells you is that you have taken on this identity. You know, you at some part of you, even if you hate and, and this anxiety and these things that are happening, it becomes part of who you are. And so when you strip it away, you kind of want to pull it back on. Like, wait, I've, I've lost my favorite shirt. <laughs> like, or I've lost, it's not my favorite shirt, my comfy shirt. You kind of have this identity crisis of who am I now without this? And so it's very important. And I have a student right now who's walking through some anxiety and she's identifying it. Well, my anxiety, my, and I keep telling her, don't, don't make it who you are. You know, don't make, you are so, you're an artist, you're a friend, you're a daughter. Don't make this who you are. There's this tendency to want to do that because it takes over our lives. So nobody tells you that when, you know, nobody tells you that it's very hard to to take that jacket off. (laughs) It's a little exposing to do it, but you know, I I say, God freed me. And he did. And like I said, people walk through different things, but there's still those times when I like getting on an airplane, when I had to say, okay, you know what, this is over for me. God's taking care of this for me, but there's still that mental component of remembering who I am, whose I am. (laughs) And, you know, the victory that we walk in, we can be freed of something and we can be delivered of something and we can be walking in freedom in Christ, but it's like anything else. Satan likes to come in and give us those thoughts. We have those thoughts as human beings. Uh, we have those temptations to go back to our old way of thinking. And so it's really important that we recognize those times and that we see those moments when uh, sometimes when we're tired, uh, when we're emotionally drained, when when we've had something remind us of the past that it will, it can creep up on us. And so it's kind of important not to be hyper vigilant, but to know what your thoughts look like and to, in those moments, recenter ourselves on Christ and on what he's done and what he's given us and how he's, how he holds us even in the hard times. Yeah. And we've talked about this in, in previous episodes too. There's actually, our our brain actually is constantly rewiring itself. So part of what you talked about, Jody, it is we're rerouting our thought patterns. And so those our thoughts will have a tendency to want to go down that stream that they're accustomed to, but then we have to continually reroute them. And when you're when you're reminding yourself that's not who I am or or God's already helped me with this or I'm already past this, you're in essence stopping the stream of that fearful thought and you're rerouting it to your new thought patterns. And so that's why one, I think it can feel so difficult Two, why, why it can become habitual to kind of think a certain way. And then three, why it is in part, why it's an ongoing battle. And the point is don't feel defeated when it's an ongoing battle. That doesn't mean the war has been lost or the battle has been lost. It just means that's the way our brains work. I mean, if we touch a hot stove, we're going to remember how it burned. <laughs> So those things, they don't necessarily go away, but that doesn't mean Christ isn't real and God's promises aren't real and that we are not walking in his freedom. What are some reasons you think that potentially we resist moving towards freedom? I mean, you talked about one because it kind of feels comforting in a weird sort of way. <laughs> and and I would say maybe because at least for me with, with my OCD, it's comforting in that it's un 
comfortable to move forward in an area that I find uncomfortable, if that makes sense. And so it feels more comforting in the moment to self-protect or to to go to my old behavior patterns. And I think you hit on the word, it's comfort. We have our boxes, we have our comfort zones. This is what we're used to. This is what we know. We've developed coping mechanisms and coping mechanisms are not the same thing as freedom necessarily. Um, We can have damaging coping mechanisms, but we are used to them. We know what to do. We know how to use them. And when it's time to step into freedom and do something different and maybe leave some of those things behind, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to leave that little bit of, like I said earlier, control. We feel like we have it under control the way we're handling it or the way we're doing it. Or, or as I said earlier, it's become our identity. It's become how we identify ourselves. And I'm a huge advocate of knowing who we are in Christ, of knowing who, who he says we are, of going into the Bible and looking at who we are and replacing those things that we identify as sometimes that are maybe damaging to us with who he says we are. And I think that makes a big difference. Yeah. And I, I think too, how we began this conversation with the sense of isolation or feeling like we're alone, I think sometimes we're afraid to get help because we can't fight this battle most likely alone. We're going to need help from our friends, from our family, probably from a mental health expert. And that can put us in a really vulnerable place because if we already feel like nobody else is like us and we're already judging our feelings and our challenges, then we, it takes a lot of courage to step forward and to look another human being in the eye and say, you know what, this is what I go through. And this is, this is how it presents in my life. And I think sometimes that's really challenging. And this is why I'm struggling moving forward. And I think we, we as a culture and a society, we value having all our ducks in a row and all everything in our boxes and everything is put together. And it's very hard for us to step up and say, you know, my, my box is broken. My ducks are running around. And I'm in a Bible study with some other ladies and it came out one day that we all are terrified to ask for help, even though, you know, we all just feel like we're defective if we have to ask for help. And I think we need to overcome that in order to get to that place of freedom to say, I'm not okay today. And hopefully this podcast helped with that. That's one of the reasons Jody really wanted to share her story so that others would hear it and recognize that they're not alone and that they maybe would find the courage to step forward towards freedom. Well, thank you so much for listening. We hope it encouraged you, maybe gave you some things to think about. We would love it if you would subscribe to this podcast, then you won't miss a single episode. Make sure to rate it and that helps others to find it and it really encourages us as well. And and share it with your friends. Until next time, may you live as someone who truly has been set free. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Faith Over Fear, a production of Life Audio and the Salem Web Network. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. To learn more about Jennifer Slattery or to check out any of the resources she mentioned in this episode, just head over to her website, jenniferslatterylivesoutloud.com, or check out our show notes. This episode was produced by Kelly Givens and edited by Stephen Sanders. A special thanks to our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey. 
For more Faith Toolkit podcasts like this, just head over to lifeaudio.com. Hey there, it's Nicole Yunus from the How to Study the Bible podcast, and I'd love to invite you to join us as we weekly discover a passage of God's Word together. From beginning to end, from principles to practicals, we are here to make sure that God's Word is powerful and relevant to your life. If that sounds like something you're looking for, I would love to invite you to subscribe. You can go to lifeaudio.com and search How to Study the Bible, and we'll see you there.